the second half of uh, James chapter 1 now in uh, a little bit more detail. Um, and we'll pray as we, uh, as we come, because we're going to pray that as we look into the mirror of God's word, um, we will remember uh, what we hear and that it will affect the way that we live in the days and weeks to come. So uh, shall we pray uh, as we come to God's word again? Dear Lord, it is true that so often we hear, but we do not do. So often we hear and we forget. So often we make resolutions and we fail to keep them. So often we are full of good intentions, but they come uh, they come not into fruition. Lord, help us. Help us to be doers of your word. Help us uh, to respond to what you have done for us in the way that we live. And help us as we think about that this evening, uh, that we would uh, recommit ourselves uh, to be different people, to be people more like Jesus this week. Amen. 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 Uh, as you know, it's um, my, uh, this is going to be really dangerous, David, because you know that I just set off a- around the pulpit sometimes, so I'm, re- I'm really concerned. Can I put it on the floor and then hope for the best? Right. Um, as you know, I often, uh, or in fact, as a sort of regular routine now, I always um, put uh, a picture up uh, on the first slide uh, which has something to do with uh, what we're talking about. Now, I apologise, it's quite small, but you can you can come and look at it uh, a little bit uh, more at the end. But it's actually an Escher drawing. Um, well, it's a lithograph, but based on one of his drawings, and it's, uh, it is absolutely superb. What it is, is it's a self-portrait looking in uh, a, a curved mirror, or a, actually a sort of crystal ball, uh, as it were. And it's called Hand with Reflecting Sphere quite technical, 1935. But we went to um, Holland in the summer and we went to the Eschen Museum. And I mean, they're just, they're mind-blowing, his, uh, his drawings. Um, but this one here, he's, he's looking into the mirror and he's looking at himself. And this is a picture which we get, you know, at least a couple of times in the Bible. Obviously, we get Paul talking about looking into a mirror. And, and we've got James again in this passage talking about looking into a mirror. Takes a slightly different slant on, on looking into a mirror, but I thought that was a great one to start. Uh, the slant that, that James takes when he looks into a, a mirror is, as we've already uh, sung in that song, the idea that we look into the mirror, we do see something of what we are like. We do see something of our failings, perhaps. Uh, so we, perhaps we come to a sermon like this, and as we listen to the sermon, we do see something of our failings. Uh, but then we go away and we forget. And, uh, and James is, is, is talking to us in this passage about not forgetting, about taking God's word uh, incredibly seriously so that we actually it actually changes how we are and I love that quotation from John Stott which I think is all about what God's word should be doing we must allow the word of God to confront us to disturb our society to undermine our complacency and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior that's what we want isn't it that's what we want the word of God to be doing and that's what James is talking about 
in these verses. And I think these verses are really a microcosm of the whole of James, actually. His, his message is here in these eight verses. So it gives me license probably to range quite far and wide, so apologies for that. Okay. Um, so uh, before we look at, um, at the three problems which I think James is talking about in these few verses, I just want to do a little bit of context. Um, because I wanted to share with you, I suppose, some of what um, I was uh, reading about and, uh, and thinking about as I was uh, preparing this. So before we look at the three problems... So that I don't have to break off and look at these things as we're going through. I can just focus on what James is actually saying. Here are just, uh, here are just some things uh, about James and uh, the way he writes and the way he's thinking. So first of all, James and the law. I'm convinced that this is the James who writes here is the James who was Jesus' earthly brother, who was uh, the leader of the New Testament church. And you can read about him in, in quite a few places. And you can read about him in Acts uh, 15, verse 28, 21, 24, and also in Galatians uh, 2, verses 9 and 10. And what you get is an impression of somebody from those verses who takes the law incredibly seriously. But you don't, in my view, get an impression of somebody who believes in salvation uh, through works. And you don't get that in James either, I would say. Um, what you get is somebody who takes the law very, very seriously indeed, but not somebody who believes in salvation through works. In, uh, in Acts 15 verse 28, what you get is James, if you like, arbitrating between the two uh, groups, the group who think that um, the Gentiles ought to become Jewish in practice and those who think, like Paul, that that's not the case. And what James does is he, he, he brokers a sort of middle way. He doesn't say the Gentiles need to become Jews or need to follow the law. But what he does say is it would be a good idea if they, uh, if they had some uh, understanding of where the Jewish Christians are coming from. And in order to promote harmony, he suggests that they uh, do follow some Jewish practices. But that's why he's suggesting it. And he's not suggesting it um, because he believes in salvation by works. But he does take the law incredibly seriously, especially the moral law. And he quotes from it. And in uh, 2 verse 8 um, of James, he quotes Leviticus 19 verse 18. Um, you shall love your neighbour as yourself, which um, we know that Jesus quotes as well. It's the, it's the sort of heart of the law. And he takes it, the law very, very seriously. Um, and you can see that in the passage that we're going to look at where he talks about uh, God's perfect law. Uh, secondly, uh, James and Proverbs, some commentators talk about James as being, you know, the Proverbs of the New Testament. He certainly takes Proverbs very seriously and he quotes, um, he quotes from uh, Proverbs. And you, in effect, you'll see that uh, one, 1 verse 19, where he talks about staying silent and not getting angry, is, uh, is pretty much um, taken from... Uh, Proverbs seventeen twenty seven to 28, which says this, and you'll see the parallel. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. I've often done that. Um, <laughs> uh, a man of knowledge uses words with restraint and a man of understanding is even tempered. And you can see how um, James is picking up on some of those ideas 
in this passage, as we'll see in a moment. Um, James and Jesus. Uh, Douglas Moo, uh, thank you for the book, Chris, it was brilliant, um, says this, James weaves Jesus' teaching into the very fabric of his own instruction. And you can see how James, um, you know, as he's writing, is thinking about Jesus' teaching. Um, and, uh, and, and we see that in uh, 5 verse 12 particularly, he says, James says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And that's almost a direct quotation, of course, from Jesus himself, uh, which you find in Matthew 5, uh, 33, 37. Um, but that, that's very much in there. And I think you'll see it as we come to our passage today. You'll go, ooh, that sounds familiar. Well, I think the reason it sounds familiar is because uh, he is picking up on ideas directly from Jesus. Um, and then finally, James and Paul. And, and this is this was an interesting little exercise that I did. I look, looked through um, <laughs> help, with the help of the commentators. And here are two here are two uh, quotations. All right, um, faith with no doubting. Now, okay, you haven't got the context for that, but there's uh, in one of the letters in the New Testament it, we hear about faith with no doubting, and then in another letter we hear faith working through love. Now you might think, if you didn't think too carefully, that faith with no doubting must be Paul. And faith working through love must be James. But in fact, faith with no doubting, we looked at last, was it last week, two weeks ago, um, because it's James 1 verse 6. And faith working through love is actually Galatians 5, verse 6. So I'm going to say that I don't think there's really, um, you know, as much difference between Paul and James as sometimes is said. There's clearly a difference in emphasis. They're clearly trying to get across um, something slightly different. Um, but let's not, let's not make too much of the difference. OK, so that's uh, a bit of context. Uh, one more bit of context, and this is just um, putting uh, this part of James chapter 1 um, in context from uh, what uh, we looked at uh, previously. Some commentators will say that there's not much structure in James. Well, perhaps not compared to Paul, we have to say. Um, but I think there's a structure here. So when we looked at James chapter 1, if you remember, we were looking at uh, the, the tough time. Uh, that uh, these Christians were going through. Uh, James was um, encouraging them to keep going and to trust God. And I think it's a natural next progression to go on from that, to then talk about um, where that trust should take them, what that should look like in uh, their daily life. So I think there's a progression here. Keep going, trust God, accept the word, let the word accept uh, affect your life specifically what does that look like it looks like uh, keeping uh, God's moral law and I think what he's building from is from reassurance to challenge through uh, chapter one and I think we've got to the challenge now and boy is it challenging so let's let's have a look at it so I think um, that uh, James is identifying uh, three problems here and I think the first problem that I think he identifies is the problem of self-righteousness. So in verses 19 to 21. So let's just read those uh, again. 
And this is where I excitingly get out the new glasses, which uh, Rhiannon's choice. Um, I think she thinks it makes me look like somebody from a, um, a 1960s American movie. So I don't know. Um, right, so 19 to 21 says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Rhiannon, keeping on a theme, uh, has been really, really frustrated with her job at Waitrose uh, recently. Now, uh, you may know that she's obviously trying to make her way as a graduate uh, designer, um, but uh, it's, it's tough to break into that, that world. And uh, she's been very sensible, and she's keeping uh, going with her job in Waitrose one day a week. But she really has got totally and utterly fed up with it. And she's got fed up with, with the lack of uh, effective management, because they used to have a cafe manager, and they don't anymore. And she's pointing out that, that, that people are behaving in, in more and more dubious ways because there's no manager to keep them under control, in effect. And what she's really, really cheesed off about is the way that they will always justify what they are doing, but equally they will criticise her for doing things which are you know, um, far less, or certainly uh, less um, fraudulent, uh, less um, deceitful, um, but perhaps you know, perhaps she does make she probably does make mistakes. They'll have a go at her for their mistakes, and then when she might suggest that actually some of the things they're doing are rather more serious, uh, they are they are very quick to get angry, uh, to have a go at her, to justify themselves. They are self righteous. They believe that. Or at least they, you know, they pretend to believe. I think they genuinely do believe that that they're okay, and that, you know, the fault is is all there. My dad tells a or told a great story. Um, he was in a he was in a queue once. Um, he was driving driving home to his parents' house from uh, where he was living at the time, and he was in a queue. And he it was Friday evening, and it was really busy, and he was really frustrated, and he was getting irritable anyway. And then they were on a hill, and the the guy in front of him, um, when they were, you know, going to start off, he let his car roll back. So, you know, didn't quite get the the clutch work right. Let his car roll back into my dad's car with quite a clunk. So, of course, my dad was so angry. So he threw open the car door to get out and remonstrate with this guy. And as he did, because there was another lane of traffic, a car came up and took his car door off. (laughs) Um, and he always said that was a really good uh, lesson that he learned there because, of course, he was so angry at the bloke in front and, of course, he then went and made his own mistake. We can be incredibly self-righteous. Look at how, um, look at how James describes it. Let every, be, every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
What he's saying, of course, is that lots and lots of people are very slow to hear. Um, They are very quick to speak. And they are very quick to anger. And isn't that the way in which we are so self-righteous? Because we believe ourselves to be so important. We want to get our opinion across. We don't want to hear other people's opinion. And by golly, if somebody else gets it wrong, are we... Are we right to be angry? Of course we're right to be angry. But do we look at ourselves? No, we don't. And we see it, I suspect, we see it in our politics at the moment. I suspect we see it in all other aspects of life, where we are very, very self-righteous. And of course we see it in the Garden of Eden. When the the serpent came uh, came to Eve and spoke to her about um, what God had said. Do you remember that she didn't say... Because God had said, you you shouldn't eat of the fruit. And she said, God told us not to touch the fruit. She took it to the next level. Because she was irritated with God, wasn't she? Because God... She was right. God was wrong. And so she started to go that little bit further. And then when, of course, Adam and Eve had fallen, when they'd done what they shouldn't have done when they rebelled God comes and talks to them what do they do well Adam blames Eve and Eve blames the servant oh you know it just goes on and on and on down through history self-righteousness and James says so many of you are self-righteous you're always right it's always about you and your opinions and what you think is correct and and you don't listen and you want to get in first, and you get irritable, and you get angry with other people. That is not the way to behave. And then he talks about God's righteousness. Well, God's righteousness can mean the righteousness that we uh, receive from God. I mean, God himself is righteous, he is perfect, but can mean the righteousness that we accept from God. But here what he's saying is about um, our right behaviour. That's what he's talking about. And he's saying that's, that kind of thing does not lead to right behaviour. So self-righteousness can never lead to right behaviour. What does lead to right behaviour? Well, it's where our actions are based not on our, the worth we think we've got ourselves, but based on the worth that we have in God. It's when our behaviour is based on an understanding that we are so valuable in God's eyes that he died for us and we respond to that and that leads to the right behavior so my priorities then are god's priorities my wisdom is based on the bible that way we will live in the right way jeremiah says or in jeremiah um it says behold the days are coming declare the lord when i will make a new covenant i will put my law within them and i will work it write it on their hearts, the implanted word. What Jeremiah is saying that um, when we become Christians, when we accept uh, God's righteousness, God's imputed righteousness, when we accept what God has done for us, then the law, the implanted word, is is in our hearts and will guide us. So the difference between self-righteousness and God's the God's righteousness is that self-righteousness is actions coming from the belief that we are right 
what James says is that needs to be replaced with actions that come from understanding that God is right and that our righteousness comes from him. And then it's about a response to God and our actions uh, will be the right uh, kind of actions. So our response then is to look to God and to put away um, or to take off the filthy rags. So the the imagery here is of taking off clothes. Uh, The best way I can think about it is our response to this is to say, is to think about we've had an invitation. We've had an invitation to Buckingham Palace, to a garden party. And we can get in because we've got the invitation. But we turn up in clothes that are disgusting, clothes that stink, clothes that are, you know, really, really unpleasant. And what James is saying is that our response to what God has done for us is to say, right, we're going to take off those rags and we're going to put on the right kind of clothes. So our response to what God has done for us should be to live in the right way because otherwise um, we're saying to God thank you very much for the invitation but actually we don't we're just going to carry on uh, as we were and we're going to turn up to your uh, great feast uh, you know looking disgusting smelling disgusting not caring I was interested by this um, quotation in the counselling directory Anger is not necessarily a negative thing, but it is usually a sign that something is wrong and needs to be addressed. Of course, he went on um, completely down the wrong path. But that is right. If if we are quick uh, to anger, if we're quick to want to get our opinion across, if we're slow to listen to other people, then that will be coming from our own sense of our own value. What we should be focusing on is the value that we have in God. So that's the first problem, the problem of self-righteousness. Uh, secondly, the problem of self-deception. And this is in one twenty-two to 24. Um, and I'll read that again. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now I've got a quotation here from Nicholas Nickleby. Now I'll I'll confess it's not exactly the same, because in this case Miss Squeers looks into the mirror and, uh, and pretends that she's far better looking than she actually is. So that's, a, that's, that's self-deception. In, in, um, in James's example, it's slightly different, um, because we look into the mirror, we do see what we're like, probably, uh, but then we forget. But the principle, in a sense, is the same. We're deceiving ourselves about, about what we're truly like. Um, I loved... Uh, I love this particular uh, quotation from Mark Twain. Mark Twain, there's so much good stuff in that Mark Twain said, just summarises things so well. But I love this one. He says, giving up smoking is the easiest thing in the world. I know, because I've done it thousands of times. <laughs> you saw that one coming. But that one, it was great, because, of course, it's self-deception. Yeah, of course I can give up smoking. 
course I can. It's not a problem at all. Of course, I'm now um, old enough uh, to have once been nearly good enough to have played for Wales. Get it? Yeah? Because the older you get, the better you were at things when you were younger. And I, I have to say that's definitely true. It's definitely true. Um, I wouldn't quite push it to say that I nearly played for Wales, but by golly, when, you know, when Owen and Daniel asked me about you know, my football or my rugby career when I was young, it was fantastic. It was amazing. It was amazing. <clears throat> Just glad there's no video evidence. <laughs> but anyway, self-deception. We're all incredibly good at it, aren't we? Um, and what... Um, the problem that James is identifying here is he's saying um, <clears throat> that even as Christians, um, we are incredibly good at deceiving ourselves. Um, you know, we will, uh, we will, you know, imagine that we are doing rather better than we actually are. Um, we'll be comparing ourselves uh, with other people uh, and we'll be, we'll be complacent about where we really are. And, of course, it's a huge, huge problem uh, in the world. And, of course, we, we get um, you know, sucked into that. Um, people pretending that they're incredibly happy when they're not. Um, people uh, particularly pretending that uh, they're, you know, they're, doing, uh, you know, a really, they're doing really well because actually they never harm anybody else. Yeah, but what are you doing for other people? Um, our, our complacency in self-deception is challenged really strongly here. Obadiah 1 verse 3 says, The pride of your heart has deceived you. We deceive ourselves that we are better than we really are. We deceive ourselves about how effectively uh, we are uh, living uh, the Christian life. So, what in fact we need to do is we need to, in effect, look back into the mirror, the mirror of God's law, uh, and give ourselves a reality check about what actually God requires of us. Uh, I've, been, uh, I've been looking at the new um, proposals for the Ofsted framework uh, at the moment. Uh, Ofsted are, are saying they've got this, this radically new framework. It's not actually that, that new um, but there are some changes, and one of the changes is that they're not going to rely on school data anymore to help tell them how children are doing. And they say that's because, uh, in effect, there's a huge amount of self-deception in schools. Schools, uh, teachers will, will want to believe that the children are actually doing better than they, than they are. And so the data tends to be inflated, and, and it can't be relied upon. And so they said, we're not going to look at that anymore. And it's just another example of how we, you know, how we deceive um, ourselves. Uh, it's it's going to cause all sorts of other problems, but, you know, we understand why they, why they have identified that problem. So what we need to do is we need to have a reality check, and we actually want to look at what God says is going on. Um, and Psalm 24.4 says, Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. So nobody can. Mark ten uh, twenty six, um, Jesus uh, talks about uh, how difficult it is for a rich man to get into heaven, and the disciples just look at him and say, "Well, who then can be saved?" I mean, they say, "Well, that standard is so high, nobody can be saved." Well, of course, we know we can be saved through Jesus, but what it does is it reminds us of the standard 
um, that uh, we have to um, achieve. So what should our response be? Well, we could, we could like the disciples, we could say, well, it's, it's impossible then. But actually, of course, we throw ourselves back on, on Jesus. Uh, we repent. So what, um, what James says is there are four things we should do. We should, first of all, look into the perfect law, which is repentance. We should say, um, that's God's standard. I come nowhere near it. Um, forgive me. Uh, I need your forgiveness. Um, then he says, persevere because he says you should you should um you shouldn't look into god's law and then forget you need to persevere and that's where the faith and the trust comes in and then we should remember so i think of that as learning of of uh of keeping on keeping on of coming back and back and back and and uh, and learning and being sanctified and then also doing and he gives us some really practical examples of what we need to do um, to, uh, to help ourselves respond appropriately uh, with new lives. So two problems we've identified so far. The problem of self-righteousness, putting ourselves uh, first, saying we always know best. Um, the problem of self-deception, uh, of saying we're better than we are. And in both cases, what um, James is saying is that we need to go back uh, to God's law. We need to understand what God wants. Uh, We need to uh, ask for his forgiveness and we need to respond in practical ways uh, to live more like Jesus. And finally, then he talks about the problem of false religion, which is similar. Um, He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Strong words again. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the, wor- from the world. <clears throat> Sometimes um, <clears throat> I have discussions with people, because you know that I'm a you know, secret, well, maybe not so secret, admirer of liturgy. Um, I think the... Uh, uh, the, the prayer book is fantastic the way that it brings scripture together um, and I think there's a great um, there's a great use for liturgy um, but I suppose the liturgy debate ha- has often been you know do we end up having re- vain re- repetition we just say these words over and over and they mean nothing well you know what the test of whether they actually mean anything the test is whether we're actually living out the Christian life outside the church building if we're just saying it if we're just saying we're sorry if we're just saying we're going to live in the right way but then we go out and we show no evidence of that in our lives well that's vain repetition but you know what if we just listen to a sermon or we listen to an extemporary prayer you know one that's one that's made up um, and we nod and then we go out and we carry on living in the same way that's also vain repetition it's just vain repetition of, of a particular way of doing things. And it's not, in James's eyes, it's not true faith. It's, it's maybe an intellectual assent. Maybe it's, a, you know, it's an acceptance of, of certain creeds and beliefs. But it's not true faith because we're not going out into the world and living in the way that we should. Um, so false religion is, well, what does Amos uh, 5 
uh, say. God says, I hate, I despise your feasts and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Interesting in Joel this morning, it was talking about solemn assemblies and God was commending solemn assemblies. So there's nothing wrong with solemn assemblies. This is a solemn assembly because it's an assembly we've got together and it's solemn because we're taking it seriously. It's a solemn assembly. Nothing wrong with that. So why then does God say, I hate, I despise your feasts and take no delight in your solemn assemblies? Because of the way that people are behaving. Um, Amos 5, uh, 24 says, Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And in the absence of that, then God hates the vain repetition of coming together and saying all the right things. Because it means nothing. And that is what James is talking about. Uh, Calvin says, James does not define generally what religion is but reminds us that religion without the things he mentions is nothing. So false religion is ritual, observance, singing, sermons, prayers, all the things we might do without lives lived in humble gratitude and active service uh, to and for God. And James is really, really uh, clear about it. Real religion, um, and it's an, ex- it's an excuse for me to uh, read my most favourite, my most favourite, if you can know, or my favourite uh, Old Testament verse, Micah, Micah chapter 6. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice... And to love mercy or kindness. And to walk humbly with your God. I'll say it again. Real religion is all the things that we do, but with this as well. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And I've said our response, therefore, to this is to look up... Yes, but also to look out. So if all we're doing is, if you like, looking up to God, but we're not then taking that out to each other and to other people, we haven't got it. We don't understand it. And also, and interestingly here, what James identifies very much is, I mean, he does talk about not doing things elsewhere, but... Here, he very much emphasises the doing. He's saying, actually, real religion will involve a doing. And this is where it sounds very familiar because we know um, that Jesus uses words very similar. Um, But he talks about visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. Yes, to keep oneself unstained from the world, but particularly to do, to go out and to help people. And I was struck that Sarah and I said uh, yesterday, we weren't, we weren't shopping in Waitrose, and we, um, we tried to remember, and we're bad at it, to put something in the food bank when we go shopping. So we said, oh, that's fine. We'll, we'll put it in the food bank at church tomorrow. And we've forgotten again. And I think that's just the problem in microcosm. 
You know, we, we're brilliant at thinking about ourselves. We're brilliant at thinking about, you know, what's important to us and our, you know, our comfort. We're not very good at thinking about other people. And James really gets to the heart of it. He says, you know, you're, you're self-righteous. You know, you, you've always, you've always got something that you're irritated with other people about because they're, you know, they're not treating you right or something like that. You're self-deceiving. You know, you think you're doing okay, really. Um, and you engage in false religion. You come. You come and you meet and you sing and you listen to the sermons and you pray. What do you do during the week? What do you do? What, what are you doing to help other people in the church and outside the church? And he's saying it's not good enough. If you're saying you're Christians, if you're saying you've got new life, you ought to be living in a radically different way. And that's the heart of his message. It's not about what salvation looks like. It's about how we respond to that salvation. And he's looking at the Christians and he's saying, you're not, you're not doing well enough. You're not responding to the salvation that there is in, in God. You're not living in the way that you should be. You're not trusting God. Um, so yes, in the, in the first part of James uh, chapter 1, he's been reassuring uh, to them because he knows they're going through a tough time. But he doesn't then shrink back from challenging them and saying, yes, okay, you're going through a tough time. Yes, it's difficult being a Christian at the moment. Probably a lot more difficult than it is for us. But he said, that's no excuse. Get out there and live in the right way. Show your faith in the way uh, that you live. So I just want to go back again to... John, stop. We must allow the word of God to confront us to disturb our society, to undermine our complacency and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behaviour. That's what James is talking about. 